Throughout the summer, uh, we have been looking uh, into the Gospel of Matthew uh, about faith, about what it means to be followers of Christ. And for the next two weeks, today and next Sunday, I will be preaching from Romans chapter 12. So today's lesson comes from Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 8. I invite you to read, uh, to, uh, to look at your screen, and I also want to invite you to to open up your Bible, whether those Bibles on the, in the pew or from your phone. Again, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me for a minute. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So, the Apostle Paul, the author of the, mess, of the reading that we just read, writes in his letter to the Roman church in the first century, and also to us, St. Stephen's, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Here, being a living sacrifice means a constant process of dying yet living. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. If any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So we die and are born again daily so that we may follow Christ continuously this is what it means to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is also our spiritual worship. And this spiritual worship is elsewhere translated as reasonable worship or true and proper worship, which you get the point. Worship is not just the designated hour on Sunday mornings at a designated space. Worship is not just when we set aside time to sing, pray, or listen to the Word of God. 
Rather, worship is, worship for Christians is a 24-7 way of living. This is how Eugene Peterson paraphrases today's verse. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And when we place our everyday, ordinary life, all of it, as an offering to God, when we do so, we are transformed. The offering of our bodies leads to the renewing of our minds. Our devotion to follow Christ leads us to being conformed to the way of Christ, or in other words, to be more Christ-like. With this posture, we can discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Perfect not as flawlessness, but as maturity. There is this small, tiny book called The Practice of the Presence of God, which is a collection of writings from and about, from and about Brother Lawrence, a 17th century French monk. Brother Lawrence, he grew up poor uh, and with no proper education, and he became a soldier, yet soon discharged after suffering wounds that made him permanently lame. So at the age of 26, he joined the monastic community in Paris and stayed there until his death. He never became a priest, but remained as a lay brother. And for years, his main duty was cooking and cleaning in the kitchens of the monastery. And when he became too weak to serve in the kitchen, he was given the responsibility of repairing sandals for the monks. Despite his lowly, lowly status, he was widely respected by those around him. His genuine spirit, cheerfulness, and peace attracted people within his community to share with him and seek his counsel and prayers. Why? This book explains that because Brother Lawrence learned to commune with God continuously, not only in church or personal devotions, but also as he worked in the kitchen, ran errands, or listened to people, which he called the practice of the presence of God. Not only recognizing that God was with him, regardless of time, space, or task, but also finding constant pleasure in God's divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with God in all seasons, at every moment, without limiting the conversation in any way. I believe this was exactly what the Apostle Paul appealed Christians to do in today's reading. Brother Lawrence presented himself as a living sacrifice, and his 24-7 way of living was his worship. And let me share some of the quotes uh, from this book. It says, the time of work does not with me differ from the time of worship. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, even while several people are at the same time calling out for different things, 
I commune with God in as great a tranquility as if I were upon my knees in prayer in the holiest cathedral of worship. Here's another quote. We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. And it is not necessary to have great things to do. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him, and that done, if there is nothing else, call me. I prostrate myself on the kitchen floor in worship before him, who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a piece of trash from the ground for the love of God. Christians uh, today often talk about being countercultural for the sake of the gospel, not being conformed to the prevailing culture of today's world, and presenting ourselves as radical followers of Christ. And this is also what the Apostle Paul brings up in today's reading. Do not be conformed to the world. But whenever I think about this set-apartness of Christians, one of the first things I think about is the example of Brother Lawrence. The world, whether in, the, in first century Rome or 21st century America, the world idolizes upward mobility, often at the cost of others. And many Christians, regardless of their tradition or background, subscribe to this way of life that prioritizes upward mobility. When they quote, I can do all things through him who strengthened me, their all things frequently point to challenges or tasks tied up to their successful upward mobility, moving up the career ladder, getting into the prestigious schools, making serious, serious gains from hard work, or overcoming adversity, adversity in pursuit of personal achievements, so on and so forth. Very few people think about Philippians 4.13 while making omelets for others to enjoy. But as you can tell, being successful was not Brother Lawrence's concern. His concern was always the presence of God, recognizing, communing, and finding pleasure in God's divine presence at all times, and thus being able to discern what the will of God was. The so-called success was not part of his lexicon. As most of you know, I'm just coming back from my uh, eight-week paternity leave. And it was a weird time. It was the first time in my professional career where I took off more than two consecutive weeks. It was the first time in my marriage where I couldn't use church work as an excuse. <laughs> and it was also the first time in my life where I looked forward to the end of summer. As I began my paternity leave two, two months ago, I really had Brother Lawrence as my motivation and inspiration. I told myself, I prayed to God that every time I spend 
time with my three-year-old and a newborn. It will be my worship, praising God and serving God's children, just like Brother Lawrence did in his kitchen. But then I quickly realized that unlike my children, the dishes in the sink do not talk or whine from sunrise to sunset. In the parenting world, the saying, it takes a village to raise a child is often, very often thrown around. About 10 years ago, NPR tried to find its origin, but was unable to do so, other than it was possibly originated from an ancient African proverb or maybe from a Native American tribe. Even with the smallest amount of information, I think we can agree that most of us in Western society, born and raised in a nuclear family, do not fully understand the, this proverb's true meaning. Parents sometimes use this phrase saying to thank the sacrifices of their extended families, especially of the, their grandparents, or to thank the generosity of their family and friends for their support and gifts from afar. But the village is much bigger than a network of family and friends. It encompasses our neighbors, community at large, collectively, proactively watching out for one another. Last month, a video of a bullet boy asking a neighbor for help at doorbell cam went viral on social media. In this video, we see a distressed child begging for help, saying to the door cam, I need some friends, like really, really bad. The neighbor resp responded to the boy. They became friends, and their video and story went viral, and people praised the bravery of the boy and the kindness of the neighbor. The fact that this story went viral tells us that this is not the norm. And the fact that people praise the boy's bravery tells me that many people out there, regardless of their age, share this similar sentiment from the boy, yet do not have the same courage to do so. Theoretically, the church is countercultural or subversive in this very sense. The church is like the village which raises a child. In fact, the church, the body of Christ, is more than a village because it saves a child. It is the only antidote we have to the problems of the world. This is why we believe the church, the body of Christ, is essential and necessary. Being Christ-like means to be a member of Christ's body that has already saved the world. So the only remaining task we have left to do is to serve with our gifts. When we are members of Christ's body, we can discern the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. Perfect not as flawlessness, but as maturity. This also means discernment is a corporate act. It's a communal act, not individual or private. We discern to figure out what is God's will for the body rather than for self. 
And this is the kind of church we see in Acts chapter 2 that turned the world upside down. Unfortunately, I say theoretically because many Christians are foreign to this concept of the church, just as much as we are foreign to the idea of a village. The today's church's primary concern seems to be more about becoming relevant by providing what people want. Jack Meador, a Christian writer, writes, recently published an article in the Atlantic, Atlantic describing what today's church is like, saying, American churches have too often been content to function as a kind of vaguely spiritual NGO, an organization of detached individuals who meet together for religious services that inspire them, provide practical life advice, or offer positive emotional experiences. Too often, it has not been a community that through its preaching and living bears witness to another way to live. Let me read the last sentence again. Too often, it has not been a community that through its preaching and living bears witness to another way to live. Again, what is this another way to live that sets us apart? The Apostle Paul continues in today's letter, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. When we think ourselves when we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, then we disconnect ourselves from God and from others. We become obsessed with ourselves to the point of self-idolatry, focused exclusively on my upward mobility, and our lives become more important than others. But a renewed mind leads us to self-emptying humility rather than arrogance. When we can see ourselves for who we truly are, we can recognize our interdependence and our interconnectedness with God and with one another. This is why we often experience those God moments whenever we are stripped away from our self-agency, whether through sickness or trials and tribulations. When we are all when our pride and everything else is stripped away, when we are at the lowest of the low, that's when we often experience God's presence. But having mature faith means to recognize God's presence not only when we are down, but also when we're up, and especially when our life remains smooth or mundane, whichever way you look at it. Instead of competing and comparing ourselves against one another for self-establishment, or instead of looking for ways that would benefit my path to upward mobility, a true functioning body of Christ is formed when members recognize their unique gifts for the edification of the body. Again, it is written in today's reading, 
For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. In the children's moment, Mr. Larry Miller's uh, message unlocked a lot of memories uh, since I was also a church planter uh, years ago. A church where the structure of the church is not divided between paid staff, volunteers, and attendees, but a church where everyone chips in. This is what Paul is talking about. Paul lists seven different gifts as an example which all point to the edification of the community, all point to the upbuilding of the body. Prophecy, which speaks a spirit-inspired word to the body. Ministry, which refers to the serving people's material and physical needs. Teaching, which refers to general instruction of faith. Exhortation, which can be also translated as encouragement, moral instruction, and spiritual support. Giving, which refers to providing financial support to the body and to its members. Leading, which provides oversight for the life of the community. And finally, compassion, which includes visiting the sick and imprisoned, sheltering the homeless, and so on. Given that we are all children of God, given that we are all God's beloved children, Imagine a child's life who is raised in a community where all these gifts are freely and lovingly shared. Imagine a child's life who is raised in a community where all its members serve one another with humility rather than arrogance. Imagine a child's life who is raised in a community where all its members engage even in the smallest task as an act of worship. Imagine a child's life who is raised in a community where all its members put the greatest commandment above our desire for upward mobility. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Just imagine a community. May this imagination of yours and mine become a reality here at St. Stephen's. May the glimpse of God's kingdom be revealed here on earth. May the Spirit of God transform each one of us through the offering of our bodies and the renewal of our minds. May all of our days, all of our ordinary days, become an act of worship where the only thing that matters is God's love expressed and shared across the village. Let us pray. Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, 
you have made us one with one another. Help us to see your presence burning in the hearts of others. Grant that we may be united in the fellowship of love and prayer. Give us the courage to pick up our cross and respond to the needs of the world. Inspire our imagination to dream of your kingdom come. Grant us the endurance to use our gifts for the purpose of your realm and work your transforming love within us so that we may discern your will and serve you with joy all of our days. We pray all this through the love of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.